0: Cool. Yeah. Well, let's hop right into it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You are one of the hosts of the Talking Serverless podcast, along with a previous guest to the show, Josh, and you also are the CEO of Serverless
1: Guru. So I would love to hear a little bit about yourself and your company. My background started in tech around 2017. I started doing like online stuff and then learned about code schools. I was like, oh my gosh, going to a code school is actually like a path to get to, you know, in my mind, I was like, if I go to a code school, I'm going to be able to go to Google or Facebook or something like that. And obviously, you know, it's sometimes the ignorance is actually like what motivates you to actually follow through, right? I was doing online classes. I was trying to learn Java. I actually did the mistake of trying to learn JavaScript before doing HTML and CSS. And then I had this weird moment where I was like, what the heck does any of this stuff do? I was like, okay, I can do a for loop, but like, how do I actually build a website? I don't know what any of this stuff means. Then I did some Java stuff and I found like an Android tracker at a code school in Portland, Oregon, then moved up there, was there throughout 2017, built Android app, started working with AWS, and even a little bit of serverless. That was kind of interesting because the realization I had during that code school was like there was one floor and there was like 150 people and we were all learning the exact same topics right and then every month another class was graduating. I had to go through this like mental exercise of like when I graduate what's actually going to differentiate me in the marketplace and I couldn't really find anything for that and so I was like okay I'm gonna need to find extra things on the side so I started in classes through like Udemy. I was doing full-time college on the weekend uh, doing only programming classes. I started learning about a fellow student there who had a brother that was an AWS developer. Then I got a chance to meet with him and talk to him. And I was like, oh, wow, he's like doing JavaScript and doing backend development, but he's also doing this AWS piece and it's super sought after and it's like at that point, like early 2017, there wasn't a ton of people doing, there's like a, like still a lot of AWS development happening, of course, because it's been happening for a while, but still it's pretty early on in terms of like utilizing more like the cloud native type of services. Uh, in that way, we started an AWS group, uh, where we basically study for certifications. I then built an Alexa skill for train arrivals in Portland, Oregon. And so you could say like, when's the next green line train coming like to downtown city center? And it would tell you the time back. And it was using uh, Lambda functions, Alexa SDK and of course serverless and all that stuff to make that work. Then I was coming out, I was like, oh, I've learned all these cool skills. Now I wanna actually do it. But I saw the typical path people took was like going into like junior development uh, right out of a code school. So I was like, I wanna use the stuff that I've just learned and like build something. I decided to try to build this like, uh, which be equivalent to people listening. If you've heard of like DinoBase, it's basically like a web browser where you don't have to have an AWS account or you have an AWS account, but you can basically visualize DynoDB, which is a no SQL database offering on AWS. And so I basically made a startup to do that and then I just recruited my other students for their internship, which would be the follow on to the code school. And then we started building and I learned about how to do like uh cognitive authentication, went way deep into serverless, all this stuff. Then about a month and a half after I graduated, a recruiter reached out for a position at Nike, the job description for uh, this like application developer matched like 80% of what I was doing during that internship thing when I was building this product. And so that never got off the ground, but it did give me the skills to apply for that. And even though I didn't have the traditional background, I had launched an app to the Android app store, i had built an Alexa skill. And I had like tried to start a startup thing and understood authentication and so on uh, a little bit better. And they gave me a shot, got in there, realized like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I'm so fresh, like as much of like a, a newbie as possible uh, in the space. And I was surrounded by people that were super accomplished. At the time I entered into the uh, Nike innovation engineering department and was actually doing serverless and serverless framework uh, and AWS stuff every single day. We did a ton of cool things while I was there some machine learning, lots of background processing stuff. Then at one point I got that itch again to like do a little bit more. And so I went to Portland Community College and asked them if I could build them a job fair chatbot that would basically help people with like directions and event details. And they agreed to it because I was gonna charge them no money. I just wanted to use it for the portfolio. And so I spent about three months building that on the side and finally got like a working thing. And then that ended up being like one of the first, you know, early stages of like building serverless guru in my consulting company later. This is around like mid 2018 at this point, all of a sudden we started getting towards the end. Something that Nike is notorious for is all contractors have that potential of getting full time. And so I kind of saw the carrot being dangled there. And then I didn't know if I would get it or not. And a company reached out to me that named Mode2. They were a serverless consulting company, primary focus just on serverless and AWS. I jumped at that opportunity. I didn't take more money or anything. I was just like, this is like the right path for me. And that was obviously, like, again, kind of crazy to my family and stuff at the time. <laughs> they were like, you're leaving Nike. That's like one of the best places in the world to work as a software developer. And you know, you're still early and all this stuff. I was thrown again into, like the deep end, I ended up being a developer coach for a whole bunch of like 15 year Microsoft employees out of that process of getting closer to the CEO and learning how a consulting company works. Towards late 2018, I finally made the jump and I started Serverless Guru. And I've been doing Serverless Guru ever since then. Uh, From the very beginning, it was like a mix of maybe doing like online courses and maybe some blogging and taking on some side projects. And it just started to snowball very quickly. And I just started going, okay, I've got three projects now. I'm working like 12 hours a day. Um, I've got some friends from the code school and a bigger network. And so I started asking if they could help me and went through a whole bunch of rocky periods. And uh, now we're, we're a little bit over 22 or 23 people uh, here coming into 2022. Yeah, that's been long form journey there for the uh, listeners. Now, that's such an interesting
0: story. And it's great because it shows that you don't need to take the traditional kind of boot camp path like you know the traditional traditional path used to be computer science but now kind of the traditional path is you go to a boot camp you learn html css javascript you get like a junior web development kind of job and you really dug into more like devops because aws and lambda and stuff it's coding, but it's not really programming in the same sense that most people think of it because it's not necessarily writing lots and lots of like logic, like it can be depending on kind of like what you're doing with it, but when you're first learning it, you're really just learning like what even is a Lambda and how do you use it and and what does it mean to stitch it together with all this other stuff on AWS. Even now, today, as popular as it is, as many people are doing it, I think it would be a skill set that if anyone really kind of hones their there's going to be so many jobs because there's so many people using this tech and it's still so complex and not really well known enough. Once you dive into it and you really learn it, then the opportunities open up to you. I was curious, one of the things you said there is that you were a developer coach for a little bit. I don't know if I've ever heard that term before. Like
1: what is a developer coach? It surprised me too when it was used on a call. Shout out to my last thoughts. (laughs) Back then we had this uh, contract project where we were going to do some training. Although I was... Still only probably a year and a half into my career at that point, the biggest thing was serverless is like you said, it's so new, it's so complex, even three or six months can feel it's like you learn so much so fast. That I was able to actually help with them. It was an AppSync Angular type of project they were building, like a proof of concept for. And so then I was introduced as like a developer coach to basically coach them through how to use serverless and AppSync and Angular and the uh, Amplify framework for the front end to basically stitch all this stuff together. In the process of hearing that and then prepping like slideshows and then going actually on site, it was a kind of a cool project because I was. Is actually down in a basement, which, you know, it's kind of interesting in its own right. You know, they had like eight people, all former like Microsoft, mostly with like way more experience, you know, gray in the beard, that type of stuff. They've been around for a long time doing development. And then here I am like a year and a half and coaching them on how to, to do all this serverless stuff. So yeah, that was a cool experience, but that's what that meant. Yeah. Development coach.
2: I'm incredibly humbled to hear your story. And it's really exciting to hear somebody that has no development background to come into development, has no proper degree run their own company start their own company and even get to 20 people and my experiences of serverless have been always interesting our initial mvp was built on serverless and i don't think i have formed opinions of it anymore as in like is it good is it bad i'm kind of still sitting in the middle like i can't remember because i've tried to just hide all of that past of like hatred but That's probably wasn't servers. That was probably my code of learning, you know, stitching all these things together. And we're now in a time of things like, you know, Redwood that now makes all of that stuff easier. But where I'm going with this is serverless I still believe it's still a massive niche even though we think that everybody's talking about these things you know everybody's talking about it but it's literally like ten thousand people on twitter across the entire world literally saying yeah this is awesome it's still quite niche and then it's that thing of like okay how do you even do it when I built serverless serverless framework was still quite new I think so it's still quite like a big gap so my first thing that I want to ask is how far have you seen serverless go forward since betting on it? Because, you know, what you've done is you bet on it. And have you ever got to a point where you thought this bet has paid off? Has it happened yet? Or do you still think the payoff is in the future? It's been super interesting and it, yeah, it was definitely a bet like um, going back to that code
1: school moment when I uh, started doing the AWS group, we actually got in a Cloud Guru video and I heard Ryan Kruinenberg say that serverless is the future, I think was the exact way that he said it. in like the first video, it was like 10,000 feet of AWS, all this stuff. And it was like this new thing, serverless. And for me, like just coming in, not knowing anything, being very fresh and being like, I want to be in the future. That's kind of how that kicked off. Since then, I think we've seen a lot of maturity take place in, in these services. There's a lot more like best practices out there. There's a lot more people from like established companies like Sheen Bristles from lego.com has done like a huge amount of service uh, to the community for just sharing all of his like talks and details about what lego.com is doing through the podcast, uh, the talking serverless podcast that I do as well. uh, I've been able to talk to people that they use serverless like the formula one website and like formula two websites. And obviously I got to see it happen at Nike too. And then through the consulting practice of seeing them mature, all that stuff's been really interesting. And now we have more matured services around like AppSync. Like AppSync was super brutal at at the very beginning. So shout out to the AppSync team for doing it, for working on that. I had this moment where I was building a fintech app for group payments and I was using AppSync and the structure that they use is like these like VTL files or like static JSON where you can add like for loops and stuff inside of it. Oh my gosh. I was like, breaking down, like sitting on the floor of my apartment, going like, what is this? You know, like, why does it not work? I have a client deadline that I can't hit and I don't know how to do it. And there's no documentation and there's no materials online. There's no courses. Now we actually just recently, probably like mid 2021, Yan Kui has actually come out with a AppSync Masterclass course. And so When I was doing this back in early 2018 there was none of that happening (laughs) and so i think if you're starting today and you have some of those resources i even put out a course uh, between then and now it's at like training.serverlessguru.com called the serverless zero to paid professional course a lot more i want to do with it in the future but it kind of just walks through like manually in the console to then building stuff through serverless framework and just building like a rest api type structure with like node.js lambdas and just an introduction to that type of stuff and and so I would say that it's matured. Would I say that the bet has paid off yet? I think. Yes, 100%. Being able to grow to 20 people has been pretty crazy. At the beginning of 2021, we were probably like six or seven to get up to like 22, 23 people. We've just been hiring like crazy and we've had projects scale out. And most of the time it's been uh, organic inbound traffic and also like word of mouth. So we've had people that we've worked at, at clients then bring us into a different client and recommend us and kind of lay some of the foundation for us based on the work that we did for them. So that's been really awesome. Now thinking about the future and where does to go from here. I think that we're scaling up our sales. So we brought in a VP of engineering. We have Josh uh, Proto that y'all mentioned earlier, our uh, COO. And we've been setting up all these different automation things around like sales and templates and blog articles, webinars with joint partnerships. We did like maybe four of those in the last quarter of 2021. We're targeting like any fortune, you know, 2000 company, mid-sized company that's like going to step into serverless and needs like one full-time person. Like we want to be That provider going to AWS reInvent like uh, late last year, and then being able to talk to Imra from. Formerly Thundra, now at Serverless Inc. He kind of said something like, "Serverless Guru is like monopolizing the um, serverless consulting space." And I also got to hear from a couple other people that have been in the serverless space, like Farah from Stackery. She was mentioning that Serverless Guru is out of the companies that were existing back in like 2018. We're like still one of the only companies that's still around that hasn't been acquired or or just stopped. And so that was also really cool to hear. You know, because you get so wrapped up in the day to day, you never know how people in the community actually perceive you. So I got some of that feedback. And so hearing that was super encouraging and the investments that we've been making like late last year, we're just hoping to like full steam ahead. Yeah, maybe we'll have a follow on episode where I can tell you in like a year from now if it's uh, paid off or not (laughs) you said
0: a bunch of stuff there i'd love to get into reinvent i'd love to get into that question of like acquiring but before we do any of that i think it would be useful for our listeners to set the stage of like what are the actual nuts and bolts of what your company does like when you are consulting and helping people are you actually building things are you starting from the ground up are you giving advice on how to migrate or how to fix or are you looking yet serverless projects that are already created and telling them how to maintain them better like or is it a little bit of all of that like what is it that you're actually doing on a day-to-day
1: basis we have kind of a spectrum uh, all the things that you've said we've, we've done those for clients so it kind of depends like if we had let's say i'm only companies i'm thinking of right now are already working with serverless but let's say i don't even know if pepsi is their own company or their own by coca-cola i have no idea but let's say pepsi so if pepsi came to us and they were like hey we have all this internal stuff. We want to migrate it. We want to start utilizing serverless. We would f- first start with doing uh, training, uh, and then from there we would start building blueprints um, using like all the infrastructure as code best practices and all the DevOps stuff that y'all mentioned previously, uh, ci pipelines, and so on. And then from there we would then move to developer support. So we would. Ideally, what we're trying to do is enable them to build independently of us. So, we're setting like a really strong foundation, letting them build, providing the support. And then, what ends up happening from there is they end up bringing us in as like architecture consultants. So, hey, we're about to build this really high traffic service. We're thinking about using Kinesis or we want to use like Eventbrite or something. Like, which one's the best option? And then we'll go and we'll build like a proof of concept for it. We'll test it. We'll give them a confirmation, you know, left or right. And then also, we get into more of like uh, actual building you know, things for them, they end up going, okay, the value proposition of serverless guru uh, is yes, they cost more. However, they're more efficient at doing this because this is like their their sole focus. And so they'll have us basically build out a proof of concept that ends up being like an integration of their code as well, and working with other teams and and, uh, service owners, and then we'll hand it off to somebody internally at the client. It's that individual Pepsi developer would then pick that up from where we laid it, and then they would maintain it and then add stuff to it but that allows them to skip from like zero to like, let's say 50 or something a lot faster. So that's the, like a f- full spectrum service type thing that we might do for a company like Pepsi. We also have companies come in who their CTO already knew about serverless and they did it at a prior company. They know that this is an option that they want to take to like limit the amount of people that they have to basically manage. They already know the benefits. They already know how it works. They don't have to go to that whole discovery phase and they've got money to invest. So in that case, like let's say a, Somewhat early stage startup type of company that's like trying to move really quickly, they might just hire like four or five of us and then we basically run their engineering team. So we're going to run the day to day operations of it, we're going to learn the domain of the client, we're going to work directly with their stakeholders. Um, and then we're building everything out, uh, from scratch basically. And so that's like the greenfield development side. And so if I gave like a spectrum of like, where does it all work out to, we really don't do training in isolation. So that only usually happens when somebody's doing a much larger, like multi-year type of transition. We do a lot of greenfield development for multiple clients, uh, still, and we're actively helping them go from development to production that way. And then let's see, we'll also help them like, uh, take existing serverless things they've built and we get this sometimes too. They might've hired a developer who was doing serverless. They were learning the ropes of it. They started kind of just hacking things together and then they're like, Hey, we actually want to roll this out or we already rolled it out and we had all these problems happen. Can you come back, review it, uh, optimize it, and then just get us back on track. And those are a lot smaller projects typically. Yeah. That's the kind of the full makeup there, but it's like 98% AWS serverless. And I would say, obviously we use CloudFormation, a serverless framework, use that under the hood. But I would say serverless framework in terms of what infrastructure is code providers, that's probably 95% of all the
2: work that we do. I have so many questions that I would love to ask and I would sit here all day asking them. But one of my biggest questions is everything you seem to be doing, it sounds like... Without the tech side, so sorry. Without the staff side, so the automation side. Do you think this is obviously IP that you have learned? You have learned how to really do it well. Do you think that this is knowledge that should be widely available that Amazon just haven't wrote? If you know what I mean. Let me make sure I understand. So, like,
1: like for instance, we have templates and stuff, and we basically build these templates out. Uh, includes a lot of like what we've established as like best practices from just falling into holes over and over again. Uh, and then we share that out to the community. Is that kind of what you're describing as like, do you lock that up or do you share it type of thing or.
2: Okay. Let me reword my question. We've seen a lot of platforms sit on a third tier cloud, basically abstractions on AWS, but you seem to be sitting a level lower by saying, you know, we're going to work with you and AWS and show you how to do, instead of using these third party platforms, that abstract the knowledge we're going to give you all the best tools to do it directly on aws do you think there's need in the serverless infrastructure to go higher to that third tier platform i think that's what serverless framework is doing or do you think it always pays its dividends to stay lower with the best practices that you've learned and basically building your own templates yeah for sure so this is a really interesting question so transparency we used to build our own website
1: and then now we use webflow for us like that transition somewhat similar to this because when we were building our own website, it was like we were writing everything to HTML, CSS, we had React, we had all this stuff like happening, but then we had to have a full-time React developer to then modify it. And then we started adding in like Redux and things like that. And we didn't have people that knew how to do it necessarily at the time. And so that got super complex and messy. And all we wanted to do was have like a page. I think there's like a spectrum of like, where are you at in that, right? Maybe I've seen like more of a story arc with myself and my serverless evangelism, where I go like, if you're early in the process and you don't even have something established, serverless might be the wrong bet, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and if you can't hire somebody, cause obviously it's a very competitive marketplace that obviously favors people that have investors or already like revenue coming in, et cetera, to hire a team or hire consultants and so on. So in that way, I would say, no, you shouldn't use serverless. Then when it comes to you're already using serverless, do you use like a product that abstracts over AWS? Yes and no. And it's getting better. Like this is, my opinion is somewhat outdated just because I saw the transition take place with like a service like Amplify. So at one point with Amplify, it was like, we actually got projects where people were like, we used Amplify, we built all of our stuff with it, and now we're trying to get to production and we don't know how to modify anything. And we've like boxed ourselves in and we need to start from scratch. That's like a really huge loss, right? To be able to go to that point using something that abstracts it away and then have to go back and learn the nuts and bolts of it. I would say that if you have capable people that already have some AWS experience, or if you just have like a long-term vision about like why this knowledge learning today will pay dividends later, then that's where learning how everything at this like lower level makes sense. If you are like earlier on and you wanna build like proof of concept, use an abstraction, like build something quickly, like ship fast, right? Like make sure that people actually want to use what you're trying to build. But then if you already have an established product, your Pepsi, and you know that like this stuff's already established, you've got a team of people that are capable, you have a long-term vision about this, and you don't want to potentially run into a situation where you box yourself in to this third party, will they exist, right? Like that, that's, we've seen that happen with uh, Stackery. I don't know if Stackery is still operational right now, or I'm pretty sure they, they slowed down. They got acquired by AWS. So I, I have no proprietary information there, like what's taking place. I just know that they had an abstraction over AWS. They made it a little bit simpler and then they went away. There's that fear as well of like, if you're on Stackery and then that happened, or if you're on a different platform and that happened, now you have to go back and you have to do what you could have been doing from the beginning. So it all just depends on where you're at. I do think full transparency, like serverless guru has like a Skunkworks arm, right? And uh, we've been working on something, you know, cause we've seen this problem take place where sharing templates, modifying templates, you end up just building, like our templates repository probably has like a hundred different folders in it. We've got templates that do API gateway, like three different ways, right? Because of just how time takes place and, oh, I didn't know that existed to update the existing template, so I made my own and mine's slightly different, but not like too different. So like, when do you update the one that's existing versus creating a new one? And and it gets really messy. And you know, the, the product that we're working on right now, the name is like Cloud GTO, allows developers to automatically generate those templates because of that automation, it's basically spitting out like the way that we might write serverless framework infrastructure as code with our best practices in it in like a human readable auto-generated way. And the idea there is that we're not trying to take it all the way to the level where we now have this cloud GTO abstraction that's an abstraction over other abstractions. We're just using that product as like a simplified UI way of generating serverless framework and cloud formation, which is a li- little bit more low level. So, can we make the low level easier? And that's kind of what cloud GTO is.
2: You seem to have the market uh, potentially at, at one end right now of the enterprise. You know, the, the the big fish in the ocean. But serverless also says, you know, this is great for just building a side project. And then it's that thing. Serverless says it's great for a side project. And then I watch a talk where. Big X company now runs on serverless, yay! And then there's everything in the middle that's just like, do I run on a server? Do I run servers? Do I, you know, it's terrible to say, but it depends how you look at things. What's easier, this massive templating format, or going on to DigitalOcean and clicking Ubuntu, Docker, done? <laughs> it really depends. And if you ask me, is like, do you see a benefit to servers? I would go. I don't know. Do you see a benefit to serverless? I don't know. Do both of them like spit out the same API? Yeah. This is the thing where any help in that middle ground is that massive thing. When you're going from small to medium, you know, you need that help scaling and understanding like why you should make these choices. And then, you know, medium to large is like, I've already got a massive problem, probably a massive bill on AWS that they want to reduce without losing performance. And how do you do that? I definitely think it can tackle both ends as you're proving. I guess the biggest thing is where do you think AWS and Lambdas as a function are now? And where do you think they're going to go in the next few years? Because as you said earlier, you've seen a lot of maturity in the area. Are we going to go through another wave of innovation? Or are we going to go through another wave of like maturity, do you think? It's tricky to
1: to predict the future. What I would say is that... I think people are trying to attack it right now with like AWS CDK and they're trying to create a different way of like programmatically creating infrastructure as code and creating these constructs which allow you to create things easier. I don't want to like go off on a tangent. So I'll just I'll dial back to a project that I did back in mid 2018 or something, to like early 2019 when serverless crew was starting. I had been doing serverless, I had worked at Nike at this point, but somehow I found myself in like a technical operations team at a large company working on EC2 instances. So that was like a weird shift. It was like a weird point in my life in this whole journey. They had 250 servers that were considered like black boxes. The people that wrote them, they left, and now they just got this like million dollars a year bill or $2.5 million a year bill for all these servers that are running and nobody really knew how to approach it. But other parts of the company started building abstractions to do things easier. Like if they wanted to run a container, then you just had to have like a local Docker file, use their little YAML file, And then it would basically do a whole bunch of stuff in the background using their like proprietary system. This was internally built there and it wasn't like public facing or anything. And then it would basically spit out like your entire setup using like the guardrails that a specific team, like a cloud, I think they're called like cloud center of excellence type team, you know, that like defines all these things. What I ended up doing is helping that team basically identify servers, decommission them, even going as far as doing like automation to turn manually created EC2 servers into CloudFormation. And so just saying that like full spectrum to say like, how are things done in the past? And is there a wrong way to do it? And can you shoot yourself in the foot like that? Absolutely, with like previous ways of doing things. What we ended up getting into at least with like, let's say we're gonna build containers or build a server, but we're gonna use like infrastructure as code. Like that's already like a huge jump forward in terms of like manually setting stuff up. And I think there's even been analogies used from like Google where they run like 200,000 or 2 million or however many, like they're running a lot of containers. And there's no way for them to be able to like go into a container and do something manually. They have to have like crazy amounts of automation. Yeah. And then now moving to the point of like, where does all this lead? We're coming into like no code is like an option as well, where people are starting to uh, you know, I was just talking about like Webflow, for instance, you know, Webflow is like still like that mix between like pretty much no code. And I click a couple of buttons and I can get my website up and running. I can get my head of marketing to go in and like modify like the little CMS database and that'll show up and like reflect in the website. And we didn't have to write any of that. And so that's super helpful. However, if I was going to take that Webflow app and then try to build like a real web application, it breaks down instantly just because it's not its purpose. And you end up finding yourself going into this little corner and writing all this really complex code that's working with some like web flow, internal ID stuff. And you're going through forums to figure out how they connect and it gets super messy. And then imagine trying to scale that out. And so that, that gets really weird. I think that there's this line with abstractions where it's like, You can go this far and like no further, right? And you talked about like people that are just starting or like small use cases, like side projects and then like much larger things, right? I think what we're going to see is like it diverge, right? We're going to see the divergence happen with something like uh, serverless, Inc. Serverless.com came out with a serverless cloud. And so that might be an area where people that are building new projects similar to like an Amplify uh, or like a Vercel or something like that, they're using that to, they don't have the people internally that know the nuts and bolts of it. They don't need to really draw outside the lines and they can use this to accomplish what they need for a couple of their use cases. And if they do end up needing to draw outside the lines, then they can leverage the other side, which is like just straight serverless framework, AWS SAM, potentially CDK. I think that that's definitely going to keep maturing, whether you have like the almost like raw cloud formation, like, do you understand at the lowest level how this works? And then also the abstraction level. And then is it going to work or not going to work? That's the part that's like tricky about it, because I could be very easily see somebody going into a situation where they get boxed in in a solution, and then they have to rewrite and actually learn the lower level, especially for the next couple of years as all this is maturing. Right now, if you went into one of those solutions and you tried to build like a REST API, suite, you can do that. You try to build your own website and host it, great. And then you start trying to get into like more complex things and you run one like events through it and your company now has these like third party integrations and it needs to be private and then you need these environment variables and like all this stuff starts stacking up and then it's like at that point it breaks down you have to use a different option
2: there's so much there to unpack when we talk about these abstractions, the two most popular ones we we, we know are like Netlify and Versal, where they're like, we just do the serverless functions for you and you just write your Lambda function and everything's golden, you know? Everything's handled. And that was my, my point that I was saying earlier. is like the small to medium, that's what Vercel and Netlify are saying, you know? We've got this. You just write your hello world function here. Everything is done. And the larger like we literally only touch AWS, nothing else, like never not talk AWS to me. So it's like this middle ground, as you're saying, Is how do you help people go, even the hypothesis, would my platform run cheaper and faster on serverless? How do you go from a point where you go, well, it's all running on PM2 to I can run it all on serverless. How can you even test that? Because it seems like a great hypothesis, but you'll only know the answer. Once you've committed to actually doing it, or do you? Yeah, yeah. So this is really interesting because there's
1: always like the cost calculation stuff, you know, and that's that's usually the first thing you see posted between like why serverless or something, and it's like cost efficiency. It turns off when you're not using it. But then we have to step back and be like, how did it get there? It didn't just show up. It's not like a magic ball. We just shook it and like now all of our infrastructure is built. We had to pay engineers and people that are helping with like DevOps and supporting project managers and like all these external things that are all feeding into the cost, the highest cost of your serverless architecture, it might be your engineers and your entire team. And the highest cost for doing like Kubernetes might also still be your team. And the highest cost of doing servers could also still be your team. I think that's an area that's not looked at is like, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Like, what is the goal of doing this? Are you doing it for a resume? Are you doing it to have a press release that you're doing it? Or is it like there's there's something like more core uh, in there? And, and so I guess like for... Like, uh, let me imagine that your entire team are like, uh, I don't know if I can, I won't cuss, but like super good, like uh, Java developers, right? And they've been running Spring Boot servers and they've been doing containers with Spring Boot and so on for a while and like they know what they're doing, it's their domain and they've been using like MySQL or Postgres and that's their stuff. And then you have somebody come in that's like, look, we're gonna switch everything to serverless, we're gonna go to DynamoDB from relational, we're gonna go no SQL versus relational and we're gonna move everything to this new way of doing things. And I think that it is really important to ask why that's happening and to look at the real cost factor there too. For instance, like you could do a reverse calculation of like what does a feature mean in terms of revenue, right? Potentially the new feature release is worth more because we've seen projects that like run where they're doing a full serverless transition and it at first seems like it's just going to be the small couple of things and it's going to be simple and then very quickly it's like 6 months later, 8 months later because like any type of fundamental technology transition, just because you can build a rest API in like 15 minutes doesn't mean that you can take your entire company and move it over with hundreds of services in like two months or something without like tons of chaos happening. So as you're making that transition towards it, there's going to be like this cost factor of like lost revenue because of lack of like maybe reduced features being released because you're building an entirely new system and you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to retest everything and like we've seen stuff happen where there was like it needed to run like thirty thousand requests per second like that was their threshold for like testing then we had that question of like can we even duplicate that in serverless the amount of time that it took us to figure out if we could do that or not that stuff if this was like maybe a few years later in the future right Maybe we'd have like a more of an abstraction that helps with something like that, or a website where we can ask that question. But we ended up taking like two weeks or something, just going through testing, figuring out exactly how Lambda scales and so on. Uh, and if a company was doing that themselves, one, it would be super discouraging because the server side already worked, and so you're now having to replicate it over here. Yeah, so it's it's kind of complex. And I would say like almost like everything we talked about so far is it's like never black and white. It's never like you know one or zero. It's like there's always this really murky gray area. And so if I had a team and I was running the organization and they were really good at Java Spring Boot and we were already productive and we were already pushing stuff out, then I might look at like one layer up and instead of going like, let's go and just slash everything and start over from scratch. Because there's another side of things where it's not just purely the technology, it's also the domain knowledge. What does your company actually do? I've seen on the ground where Because an initiative is put into place without getting the low-level buy-in of everybody, you end up having people that have like 10 years of domain experience leave the company because it feels like they're almost being like talked down to because like the thing that's, this is the old legacy past side, and this is a new awesome Ferrari side, and you're not part of that. And then that domain experience that 10 years that's where you lose a ton of money i don't know how deep people actually go into doing these calculations at their organizations but i wish they would do more of it to be honest
2: my last big question has serverless have you ever seen it buy a company in the ass as in like you know as you said it's their number one, one priority make everything serverless and it just ruined the company Yeah, I've seen it happen. It's like, uh, I think someone says it with like a pilot
1: or something when like a plane crashes, it's not like one mistake. It's like seven or eight or 12. It's like that entire day. In terms of the company that I saw this happen to, they were building it out with serverless framework, completely 100% serverless, but it was very early on. The maturity wasn't there. They were potentially doing it for like the wrong reasons. They were like trying to use the latest and greatest. um, And that was being pushed when maybe it shouldn't have been pushed. So there was like disorganization, things like that. The result of it was they got delayed like months and months eight months plus and they never were able to actually launch something by the time they were actually getting ready to launch something the they had already burnt through tons of capital and there was other like competitive services that were already on the market at that point because that's the way that the wind was blowing that's where time to market with using like, let's say a container or not even a container, but just a server. And then just having like a front end developer and then just manually doing stuff that was probably the better route. Obviously you only see some of that stuff like looking backwards, but that's part of the reason why there's always like a caveat and like what I'm saying, even on this podcast, because. I've seen that happen. It's very important to take into consideration where you are today when you're building something.
2: Exactly, and the thing is, I love to you know ask all these questions like, is serverless worth it? You know, all these things. But at the end goal, there's a big reason a lot of your clients are big companies because they have enough money to you know work out truly what is the best thing they need. When you're small, agile, and really trying to work out the point, deciding if you should be on a server or serverless is probably not your number one priority. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, no one cares about if you have a good
1: server or not, like your customers don't care. They don't see it. Right. Like the only thing they interact with is your platform. Let's say in this example, obviously people build different things, but um, in this example, web application, that's the way your customers interact with or a mobile app. They don't see anything that's happening behind the scenes. They just want it to work. They want it to be efficient. They want it to be fast and they want new features to released quickly. And if something else in the market is competitive, you have that like financial obligation as well and also to your customers to get that out as soon as possible. Because otherwise people go, okay, these three things have it, yours doesn't have it, now I'm going over there.
0: Something I would like to ask before we close out here is as someone who has gone through this whole journey and has done it fairly recently, what would you recommend to someone coming in today looking to get into either development or serverless or any of it, maybe they are starting totally from zero, or they have a little bit of boot camp experience? What are some resources or some like words of wisdom that you would impart on someone in that area?
1: Yeah, I love this question as well. That's why I try to start like the story all the way back so it gives like perspective. So I, w- I would say that if you already had some experience, like let's let's first start like I guess towards like more of the advanced side of that, which is you're a developer at a company, you are looking at serverless, it seems like it could be a good fit, but there's this entire spectrum of things or you're just now starting and there's an entire spectrum of stuff that you wanna learn. Build something and learn only what's required to build it and forget everything else, like it doesn't exist, right? There's like thousands of services on aws and there's always new stuff coming out every single day i don't have my rss feed on for aws i don't look at the announcements i typically i'm i'm optimizing because now i have like a team of people that like if something's important they end up announcing it or something internally so i only look at what people value like there or like the twitter community like will then shout out but i'm not following the feed like that i did that for a long time also, I'm not trying to go after every service. So, like if you just want to build like let's say an Alexa app, that's always a really good way to see something like end-to-end. Use AWS services, mix that in with your Node.js or like Python background, or I'm sure there's like Java support and C sharp and so on Golang, You can buy an Alexa like hockey puck or something, or even use an emulator online. You write some backend code, you follow a tutorial, uh, you just search like Alexa, Node.js, like tutorial, you create your AWS account you set like only a couple of things up, right? Like you download something locally for your code, maybe use like some packaging thing, like a serverless framework. Although I might even recommend not even to do that. Go into the console, go into Lambda, drop your code in manually like that. And then just hit the deploy button from there. Don't even worry about infrastructure as code at this point. And then just try to get it working as fast as possible with the least amount of friction. And that would be no infrastructure as code, no local development, really. Just plug and play these things together. And then from there, once it does work, then reverse engineering. Okay, now let me go one step back. Let me try to move that Lambda function I put in manually into the console into an infrastructure's code. And then let me just try to, like, maybe my Alexa skill needs to store some data. Okay, then I'll add DynamoDB in and I'll look up Alexa Lambda DynamoDB and I'll find an article there. I'll grab a little bit of code and, like, a little snippet of like infrastructure's code for a table. I'll add that into my template. And then from there, now I've got Lambda, I've got Alexa, I've got DynamoDB. And then it's like, okay, I'm gonna actually build, I've got some HTML CSX experience, so I'm gonna write a little front-end, or even if I had React or Angular, write a front-end, and now I wanna connect it to a back-end with like serverless and AWS. Okay, I'm gonna look up the Amplify framework, and then I'm gonna try to build a REST API. So I'll look up API Gateway, serverless REST API, and we've got a lot of articles on it, uh, as well, at, at Serverless Guru. So like, if you just typed in exactly that, AWS REST API, serverless guru, you'll see like a couple of articles from us. Then you're tackling API Gateway, connected to a Lambda function with DynamoDB, and you're showing it in your front end using Amplify, that's honestly like 70%. Like you're Like really going a long way just being able to do those things. Obviously, you could almost niche down inside of DynamoDB uh, or API Gateway or Lambda and go super, super, super deep. But the point is, is like we're actually trying to build stuff, right? And I think sometimes people get too caught up trying to optimize. If you're optimizing the packaging of a product that doesn't exist, or you're optimizing the infrastructure of code of a product that doesn't exist, or you don't even have a V1 out. And like, that's actually not good. And I think that's really easy to do with serverless. And I think that's where we see people kind of spin out. It's hard to keep those blinders on and not look at all the cool shiny stuff around you just to get something deployed. And that's why in that course that I made, serverless zero to pay professional, it starts manually in the console and then just slowly add stuff in, getting a full thing working only in the console, which I'm sure people on Twitter would be like yelling at me and then taking it locally and then doing a little bit of infrastructure code to rebuild the exact same thing, but a complete replica of it. So I can compare side by side and say, why doesn't my Lambda function connect when I try to make the API request? Okay, let me look at the one I did manually. Oh, I forgot this permission. So I'll add that into the local one and I'll just go one by one through each one of those until I have a full thing out. I would say just do that. Try to limit the amount of things that you you put onto your shoulders. Hopefully that's useful.
0: Yeah, that's actually really smart building something in the console first and then looking at the infrastructure's code because I'm always kind of bouncing back and forth between the two of like trying to do everything with the infrastructure's code as much as I can. But then like you are using these abstraction frameworks and then you're like running commands and then you're like getting all these like error messages You're just like, what the heck's going on? And so I think that's actually really good advice, even for people who are like, hey, click ops, like it's a uh, it's kind of a necessary evil, I think, when you're learning. Unfortunately, we are all out of time has been such a great conversation. And we would love to get some other people from your team on as well. Before we close out here, go ahead and let our listeners know your social, your website for you personally, serverless guru, any links you want to direct people towards.
1: Sweet. Yeah, you can find me at twitter.com slash Ryan Jones IRL pretty simple one there. Ryan Jones IRL is also like my LinkedIn. I probably have a personal website, but don't judge me on that. I created it a long time ago. And then uh, serverlessguru.com, that's like my 100% of my focus day to day. What you can find on there are our blog resources. We're rolling out a lot of stuff right now around like EventBridge, API Gateway, lambda DynamoDB, serverless framework templates and usually the articles have a template associated to it so we're trying to do that right now we also have a podcast the talking serverless podcast look out for our webinars things like that so if you want to find all those type of updates you can find them at twitter.com slash serverless guru and we just like blast all the different things we have going on there but yeah i uh, i really appreciate being on the show thanks for letting me get a chance to kind of self-reflect over the past (laughs) years uh this was super fun thank you for
2: your time today. absolutely
0: Thank you so much. Yeah,
2: sweet. Awesome. It, the, the thing is about service. I feel serverless is a lot more theory than actually code, if you know what I mean.